2 Timothy chapter 2 will be starting in verse 14. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred in this way. They have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteousness, uh, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again. As we come to you, we ask during this time that we hear from you, Lord, that you would quiet any distraction we have, Uh, Lord, that we would just be brought to your throne room to hear from your voice today. Lord, we pray for those who are not here today. We pray for our our brothers and sisters who are, are sick or ill or dealing with injury, Lord. We pray for those who are taking care of others. Lord, we just ask that you would bless them today. You would bring quick healing to them. You would bring comfort to them. And Lord, for those who are listening to this at another time, I ask that you would just draw near to them and guide them through your word as they listen. Lord, let us just feel your presence this morning in these pews. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, our hearts go out to Sandy Weaver as her brother Terry has gone and now is in the presence of the Lord. Remember to uh, pray for Sandy and and the Michael family as they face these days. Send them a card, pray for them, encourage them in any way that the Lord would allow you to, to do so. The story is told of a mother who was preparing a a meal. In fact, it was a ham that she had. And she took out a a meat saw and began to cut off the back end of that ham. And she was teaching her child, her 
that that's what you do. And the child asks a good question. Why do you always cut that part of the ham off? And she said, well, that's because that's what my mother taught me to do. And, and so it got her mother thinking that maybe she should find out for the sake of her daughter, why is it that we always cut off that, that back end of the ham? And the mother said to her, this mother, well, that's what my mother always taught me to do. So it went back a few generations, and finally they got to the great-grandmother and asked her, why do, why did you teach us to cut that back end off? She said, because I didn't have a pan big enough for it to fit in. <laughs> there are literally some traditions that maybe don't have good understandings of why we do things. But there are tremendous traditions that we had never should never forget. For instance, we should never forget the tradition of communion. Because in it, the scriptures tells us we do this in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. There are traditions in our nation that we should never, never do away with. But in our study, our lengthy study of 10 steps, 10 reasons why a nation dies, we find today that we get to the culture part of it and we find that there is a danger of the loss of tradition. Are we on slide 37? There we are. Thank you, dear. The loss and respect for tradition. Loss and respect for tradition. I came across an interesting individual that maybe all of you are familiar with. If not, then I trust that this won't waste be some of your waste of your time. But there was an individual who was a dynamic influencer of both former President Barack Obama and former Vice President Hillary Clinton. His name is Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky was a community, if you will, a community activist. And that's a fancy word for socialist. Saul Alinsky, back in the, or the late 1960s and into the early 70s, what he was doing is he would gather the communities, the poor communities in the city of Chicago for them to rise up against their landlords and the mayor and even the government for the purpose of putting pressure on them to make changes. The changes were never specified as to what he was talking about, but what he did do is he influenced two individuals that came into the highest rank, if you will, of the United States government. <clears throat> he wrote an, uh, an eight-step plan to change a nation from capitalism to socialism. 
And through these eight steps, we can see what is happening in our nation today. The first step is this. He says, get control of health care. If you control health care, you control the people. His second step was poverty. He said, increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control and will not fight back if you are providing everything for them to live. Debt. Increase the debt to an unsustainable level. That way you're able to increase taxes and this will produce more poverty. Number four, gun control. Remove the ability to defend themselves from the government. That way you're able to create a police state. Number five, welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives, food, housing, and income. Education. Take control of what people read and listen to. Take control of what children learn in school. Number seven, religion. Remove the belief in God from the government and schools. And last, the eighth, cause warfare, class warfare, excuse me, divide the people into wealthy and poor. This will cause more discontent, and it will be easier to take taxes to wealth from the wealthy to support the poor. I think Billy Graham said it well in one of his sermons when he declared that Satan never works in a dynamic way. He goes slowly. He'll implement something that pretty soon everyone stands back and says, where did this come from? How did we get here? We find ourselves this morning in the fifth of ten when we talk about the loss of respect for tradition and specifically where it says the secularization of popular culture has left a majority of Americans without the traditional sources of faith, hope, and virtue upon which their fathers and mothers once depended. Religion and the expression of faith have been banished from the public square. An absence of commonly held absolutes and moral standards, those values that have traditionally been derived from faith in God, where now everything has become relative. Everything has become relative. Our federal government just in this past week in the House of Representatives passed a, a new law. It's called the Protection of Marriage Law. But what they don't tell you, it's not the protection of the traditional marriage. It's the protection of every other kind of marriage. Even to the point that if certain states begin to recognize polygamy, that that has to be recognized in every other state. 
Even if certain states begin to recognize the marriage between an animal and an individual, other, na- other states in the nation have to agree to it. That also means that there can be marriage between a multiple group of individuals. And as long as a state accepts that, then every state must recognize it. It was back in 19, uh, 2007, excuse me, where the move began to be placed upon the Supreme Court to change the name of marriage, the definition of marriage. Where at one time it was understood traditionally to be the union between a man and a woman. That's when the pressure began. It wasn't until about seven years ago, in 2013, 2012, in that area, where the Supreme Court fell to the whims, and they changed it. The definition now reads, marriage is the union between whoever. Tradition. There's been a loss of respect for tradition, the tearing down of uh, some of our long-standing, if you will, monuments based upon the teachings of certain universities. There's a university in New York State, Cornell, I believe it is, who removed the the head, the bust uh, of Abraham Lincoln. And they removed his Gettysburg Address from their history department. When you begin to remove standards, then all of a sudden ethical standards are reported to be at best arbitrary. The modern idiom claims that every proposed standard of values is authoritarian and potentially fascist. In other words, family and traditions are viewed upon as being evil. Not any place in our history ever again. Values such as right and wrong are condemned as forms of absolutism which swing the door open to the twilight zone of unreason and irreality. If right and wrong truly have not meaning, we must ask ourselves how should we then live? And without some reliable source of values, absolute truth, everything is permitted except that which is absolute truth. We have now what is referenced or referred to as deconstruction ideology. That is a huge, huge thought process, deconstruction. Now, when you come and try to find a definition of deconstruction, good luck with that. 
because even the individual who came up, the theorist, the pragmatist, if you will, who thought up the terminology and the ideology of deconstruction, he's there, he was asked, what does that mean? He says, I don't know. But I found a few places where individuals took a stab at it. And deconstruction ideology, the definition of deconstruction is this, the denial that there are any reliable criteria for establishing worth and value in communications, either in arts and letters or in our daily experience. There is no value in communications. In other words, that's why you can take a crucifix and put it in a pint jar of urine and call it art. And take that crucifix out of that jar, it becomes deplorable. No value at all. One individual came up with this definition. It says, for every true statement, it's equal and opposite statement is also true. Now you try to wrestle with that. For every true statement, the equal and opposite of that true statement or that statement is also true. Do they not know what gravity is? Do they not understand what air is? What heat is? And oh, by the way, are you enjoying the heat? And you're all thinking, when's he going to pray for rain? We'll get to that. But this is the thinking that is going on in our society today. It, it becomes very evident when we were, we were sold a bill of goods of a particular, if you will, um, deed that was done from our government that said it's not going to cost you anything. We're going to raise your taxes, but it's not going to cost you anything. Do you see the ideology of deconstruction? Nothing really has, if you will, its basis in absolute truth because there is no absolute truth. What's good for you is not necessarily good for me. How you say that the word of God declares that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We can say, well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And my answer is, well, how is that going to work out for you? When you have celebrities, even behind pulpits, you have celebrities that even declare there's no such thing as sin. And yet the word of God declares that there is. It's called deconstruction. This deconstruction lends to the reaction of individuals who expound, that may be true for you, but not for me. Here's the goal. The goal of deconstruction ideology is to undermine all the traditional standards of civilization and civilization and culture to drive 
our entire civilization backward toward a state of self-destruction and lawlessness. That's why when we see city blocks burning, we're told that that's not against the law, that's just people releasing some anger. Our second oldest daughter and her family most recently took a vacation to a part of the United States that we used to live in. They went to Portland, Oregon. They're big hikers. I'm not, you know, whatever. You want to go walking through the woods, you go right ahead. Tell me how many rattlesnakes you see, how many ticks you get. Wonderful, beautiful. So they wanted to go back because they, my daughter remembered the, the free hiking trails around Multnomah Falls, which are very beautiful. They're no longer free anymore because you pay. But as she was driving through the city of Ori, Portland itself, which used to be pristine, very, very clean, a beautiful city lit up at night by different lights on different buildings, she said, Mom and Dad, the city is trash. Well, why wouldn't it be? They burnt down a federal courtroom. They destroyed buildings. The homeless no longer live in what was called homeless city, which was underneath the bridges that connected the mainland to the city itself over the Willamette River. They used to live underneath there. Now they live alongside the streets of the main fair. She said, Mom and Dad, the city is trash. It's all because of deconstruction. Taking us backward, not forward, but backward to lawlessness and self-destruction. Some examples of deconstruction are this. The rewriting of our history, the loss of our heritage and traditions as a way of life. Pup, you were getting, that was coming out even when you were starting to teach. The rewriting of history in order to portray, if you will, a political agenda. In order to lose the understanding of where we came from as a nation. That's one of the examples. The other example is this, leaving the Judeo-Christian ethic. A large segment of society has cut themselves loose from the tether between man and God, the consolation of faith in God and the benefits of divine intervention in the daily affairs of men is looked upon as taboo. There is no regard for God. There is no, if you will, respect for God. Churches are being blown up. They're being set on fire. Lord have mercy. I remember when I was in elementary school, even if I was tempted to walk across someone's lawn on, on, the, on the block that I lived in, I was kind of wondering, I'm in trouble. You can't cut across someone's lawn like that. Now they... There is no regard for that anymore. Just the other day, as Nancy and I were coming back, we, we saw a state police officer in our parking lot. Thinking that he was there, obviously, to make sure the buggies are not going 55. 
But I pulled up to him and I said, officer, is there anything wrong? And he said, no. He says, we've started doing, uh, what did he call it, honey? Yeah, they're, they're just watching churches and schools for vandalism. They've just started doing that in our area. The war of re- on reason and common values being waged within the intellectual community is undermining all the traditional standards of civilization and culture. And lastly, and this is the one that hurts, the secularization of the church. The church has cut its ties with the word of God and now focuses on the reader's digest. The the ideology of deconstruction, which leads to this. Without the foundation of ultimate truth, the word of God, individuals are left to themselves to satisfy their spiritual desires through philosophy, mind-altering medication, reason and science, and false religions that offer no hope for eternity. You see... God has placed in every individual that breathes their air of this civilization a desire to know who he is. We saw that in Romans chapter 1. Every individual carries in them the desire to worship. They worship, they must worship something. And what is happening is been taking place since the 1960s where all of a sudden the freedom of mind movement, the freedom of sex movement, the experimentation of mind-altering drugs has taken the place of reality from the scriptures in order that individuals can just feel good about themselves. And in fact, later on in one of our studies, we're going to find out that the church itself is being called the the birthplace of terrorists because of the fact that we stand up for what the Word of God has to say. And yet we are the ones who are the crazies. The search... For the divine presence is natural and inevitable. But if one seeks for it through enlightenment or other social movements, one is bound to be disappointed. Going way back, St. Augustine once said, God is more truly imagined than expressed, and he exists more truly than he is imagined. We imagine God because we need him, but the reality of God is greater than our imagination and more certain than our need. Other things that deconstruction do is it it produces the loss of of the value of life. That we'll look at in about three weeks. 
What has happened to the value of life? And lastly, the alteration of family. Of family. Our culture is at risk. As Pastor Steve read this morning out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Timothy is trying to instruct the individuals to stay away from fables, to stay away from untruths, and search after the truth of the Word of God. And now our culture is at risk because we find ourselves doing just the opposite. In recent years, so much attention has been given to our individuality and freedom of expression that we have put the entire fabric of culture at risk. Rioting is noted as the release of emotional steam. Looting is noted as receiving what is due to them. And lawlessness is noted as a sign of the times. Violence, hatred, and rage flame out of control in our cities and towns today. Just most recently, there were some individual servants of ours in the federal government who thought it was their place to be able to go and stand in front of the Supreme Court building in order to, if you will, uh, peacefully stage their anger against the most recent returning of the abortion issue back to the state. I thought it was interesting that one of our servants, though making it look like she was handcuffed, was able to take one of her hands and wave to those who were, as she was going by, and then she put her hands back as if she was cuffed. There's even the loss, the deconstruction, if you will, between the offices or the branches of our federal government. Under, under such benign-sounding names as choice, free speech, and liberation, we permit radicals to make a mockery of sacred landmarks and institutions as old as the nation itself. The atmosphere permissiveness in turn threatens our survival as a nation. Culture and tradition are interwoven at every stage of our national life and to assault one is to do damage to the other. So are we really willing to throw all of that away for the sake of change? So what are we to do? We end each one of our sessions with trying to come to some kind of a thing, an action that we as believer people can do. What can we do? I think the first thing we need to be doing is make sure we teach our children the importance of tradition. 
not just for tradition's sake, but for the strengthening of our next generation. It's okay to teach our children and grandchildren that George Washington was the first president of the United States, which, by the way, if you've been looking at on some college campuses, they don't even know the answer to that question. They have no idea of our heritage. They have no idea of our traditions. It's okay to inform individuals that Abraham Lincoln did everything he could to get rid of slavery. Which, by the way, he was a Republican. Just want to throw that at you. I, I remember seeing one individual question an African-American on a college campus, and he asked a question to this one, who was it that started the KKK? And the individual said it was the Republicans. No, it was the Democrats. Oh, I didn't know that. Then he went on to ask him, which president or Abraham Lincoln got rid of slavery. Was he a Republican or a Democrat? Oh, he had to be a Democrat. No, he was Republican. Oh, I didn't know that. Now, these individuals on college campuses will one day be pushing my wheelchair out in the middle of the road. Oh, I didn't know that. It's okay to teach our children about tradition. It's all right to allow them the privilege to see as a nation that we were once a nation under God. We were once a nation under God. When we chase after life's dreams, be sure to include the word of God as your source of direction. There's nothing wrong with the pursuit of dreams but incorporate the word of God. What does God have to say about this? Be sure to pray with your children and for your children to teach them where true faith is found. Share your concerns with your public servants Make sure you speak the truth in love and then share the truth of the gospel with those whom God brings into your life. We may be facing a time of denunciation, deconstruction, if you will, but that doesn't have to happen in the church. In the church, we can still remain true to the word of God and not be sorry that we do, to have it to stand forth, not to use it as a weapon, but to use it as an invitation to those who are seeking truth. Remember the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 when he declared do everything that you need to do to stand. Stand on the word of God. God won't fail you. His word won't fail you. It's worthwhile. 
And so when we incorporate the word of God into our every aspect of life, as Pastor Steve read this morning, then we become one who is well-pleasing to God. Don't allow culture to destroy your faith. Take your faith and rebuild culture. That's what we have to be. Let's pray together. We are faced, O Lord God, with decisions. Each and every day, we are faced with choices to make. We, as your people, we can choose to stand back and do nothing to allow the deconstruction of our society, of our culture, to be at the whims of intellectuals and philosophers. Or we can stand firm and declare the word of God to those who serve us in the political realm. We can share with them the truths of the scriptures. We can share with them the absolute truth that comes from your word. And we can do that with love. Wise as serpents, yes, but gentle as doves. And so, Lord, in these days, as we face these issues, we're not calling us, you're not calling us to be rioters. You're calling us to be life givers. That which we have in our own depths of our own soul, that's what we should be sharing with our friends and our relatives, our next door neighbors, our community wherever we are. And when someone would ask us of the hope that lies within us, Lord, may we be successfully used of you to point them to Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that as a church, as a leader of a church, as we stand before you, O oh Lord God, I pray that you would empower us to be a source of community change for the better. To not fall by the wayside um, and to just accept what's coming without thinking that there's anything we can do. Oh Lord, use us. Use us in a way that we can direct individuals to you. I am so glad that last week we had Five glorious days of sharing with children the truth of the scriptures. It's a place that they could find peace, a place they could find joy, adventure, and acceptance. And so, God, I thank you for all of those who ministered, whether volunteers, whether teachers, whether directors, song leaders, skit leaders. We were all together bent on one thing and one thing only, and that was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for them.
No better way than to introduce you to younger lives that as they grow older, they will become foundationally secure in the traditions of faith. Then too, O Lord God, we need rain. But I thank you that you're still in control. I ask if it by your will and for your glory that you would send rain to our area and other areas. You, you tell us in your word that by grace you allow rain to come to the just and in the unjust. So we call upon you, Lord, and ask that you would favor us with rain to refresh the ground to strengthen the crops and to, O oh Lord God, to cause my lawn to grow again. And in these things, O oh Lord, we don't ask in anything other than by your grace and for your mercy. So unto you be the glory and the power and the dominion both now and forevermore. And I thank you, praise you. Amen. Let us stand for the benediction, please.